Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. Our current series is called The Ripple Effect. Our goal is to understand how the forces that shape our lives affect us personally and then ripple out beyond us to impact our friends, our neighbors, and the world at large. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus tells us, Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The word of the Lord. So for the first six weeks of the new year, we are doing a sermon series called The Ripple Effect. This sermon series is based on the visualization of the ripples that occur in water. And the phrase actually comes from this idea of how you can have an event that begins in one place, and the effects of that event ripple out to impact situations and circumstances that were not connected to the initial event. The focus of this series is to talk about the various forces that shape our lives and ripple out beyond us to impact our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the world around us and how Jesus and the gospel have the ability to disrupt those influences and to reshape and remold us into completely different people. Last week, we talked about the underlying influences that help create the narrative, the story that we tell ourselves about our lives, and how those underlying influences can create a cycle of both positive and negative behaviors. And so last week we talked about how do you break that cycle? How do you prevent the cycle of things that you learn from the time that you're young from emanating out and impacting the world around you throughout the rest of your life? Today we're going to talk about something in the same category, but we're looking at the role society plays in our ability to break the mold of our upbringing. And to begin talking about this, I would like to tell you a story about a woman named Tara Simmons. Tara Simmons was born in Bremerton, Washington in 1978. She was the daughter of two drug addicts. 
Her mother had run away from home at the age of 15 and met her father, who was addicted to crack cocaine. Although she didn't have much of a relationship with her mother, she very much loved her father and described him as a man who was very kind and generous in spite of his addiction. And he did his best to raise Tara, but of course, the fact that he was addicted to drugs meant that he was associated with a lot of criminal activity. And so Tara grew up around things that she shouldn't have been exposed to as a child. She had to deal with abuse. She had to deal with gangs. She had to deal with drugs. All of these things were around her all the time. Now, when somebody is born into a situation like that, we can very easily predict how their lives are going to turn out. And generally speaking, it's not good, right? And Tara's life took the path you would expect it to take. When she got to be the age of 13, her entire family system fell apart, and so she was homeless. So she ended up joining a gang in order to have some support. She dabbled in prostitution and drugs. She was arrested for shoplifting. She was getting in fights all the time. She was exhibiting the kind of behavior that often leads to much more serious criminal activity later on in adulthood. But then, something happened that changed her life completely. At the age of 15, Tara got pregnant with her first son, Devon. Now, normally, when you're living in poverty and you're dealing with a situation where you have no support from home, it's only going to further exacerbate the problems. But for Tara, it did the exact opposite. When she got pregnant, it motivated her to want to change her life. And after she had her son, Devon, she enrolled in a school that specialized in working with teenage mothers. And she didn't just coast to this school either. She actually worked really hard. She took the heaviest course load allowed, and she got really good grades. She wanted to prove to her son that no matter what barriers stood in their way, that they could overcome, that they could do better. She not only graduated from high school, but she ended up enrolling in college. And within six years, she had attained her nursing degree. And she had done well enough in college that she got a really good job. She was working at an emergency room in a hospital. So by the age of 24, she was working a full-time job. She had bought a two-story home on a cul-de-sac. She was providing for her son in ways that she had never been provided for when she was growing up. And she was dating a man who she would eventually marry. Tara had achieved something remarkable. Wouldn't you agree? She had grown up observing her parents, who were criminals and drug addicts. And what did we talk about last week? We talked about what are children designed to do? They're designed to copy exactly what they see their parents doing. So what did she see her parents doing? Well, she saw them doing a lot of bad things. And that way of being, she internalized that. It became part of who she was. And in fact, for a long time in her life, that defined her narrative. Her parents were criminals and drug addicts, and that's what she was going to be. But then she gets pregnant, and she decides, you know what? No, I'm going to change the narrative. I'm going to live differently. So she works hard. She gets an education. She gets a great job. She defies the odds. Most people looking at her would have said, no way. She's never going to be able to become a productive member of society, just given where she started. But yet, she proved everybody wrong.
Now, I wish I could tell you that's where the story ends. She rode off into the sunset and lived happily ever after. But I got a whole rest of my sermon to preach, so you know that that's not the case, right? So things were going well for Tara. She was doing the best she could in terms of going to work. She was providing for her son. She was married to this man. But as you know, even in the best of circumstances, life can still be stressful, right? And when life gets stressful, we tend to fall back on the behaviors that we learned when we were growing up. That's what we tend to mimic. And so what did she learn when she was growing up? She didn't know what a functional marriage looked like. She never had that modeled for her. So when she started getting into fights with her husband, the fights became increasingly more and more dramatic to the point where they decided, you know what, it's time to call it quits. We're just going to leave. It's not worth our time anymore. And so they end up getting divorced. And Tara, she starts dating again after this. And she goes on a couple of dates. And then something happens. She goes on one date. Seems to be going well. She likes the guy. And at the end of the evening, this man sexually assaults her. Now, what you should do if you're sexually assaulted is you go to the hospital. You have a rape kit done. And then you contact the police and you decide if you're going to press charges or not. And she knew this. She was a nurse. She had done these things before. But that's not what she did. Instead of going to the police, she goes out and finds a member of a gang, tells him what happened to her, and says, would you help me get even with this guy? He says, absolutely. So he gets all the members of his gang. They go and they hide in her house and she invites her assailant over and they jump him and they beat him within an inch of his life. Tara is arrested, and she is charged with conspiracy to commit assault. And she's sentenced to eight months in jail. Now, the rape, combined with this eight months in jail, it initiates a massive downward spiral in Tara's life. When she gets out of jail, she has a conviction on her record, so she can't work in doctor's offices and hospitals anymore. And so as a result, she had this money that she was depending on, and now she's getting a lot less. She's working low-wage jobs. So she starts trying to find boyfriends to augment her income. And these boyfriends, they come into her life, and they come out of her life, and then she ends up getting pregnant, and she gives birth to her second son. But this time, unlike with Devon, who inspired her to work harder, the stress became overwhelming, and she resorted back to using drugs. And eventually she found herself in the midst of a full-blown addiction to crystal meth. She ended up abandoning her children, leaving them behind. She moved in with her boyfriend, and they sold drugs out of his apartment. Every so often, her boys would come over, and they would sit down on the couch and watch television while gang members and drug addicts would wander in and out of the apartment. When she looked at what was happening, she realized that she was living a mirror image of what she had experienced when she was growing up. In spite of her best efforts, she had recreated the patterns that she had been taught as a child. Now, as you might expect, Tara was eventually arrested for selling drugs, and she was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. And looking back on this moment, she believes that this was probably the lowest point in her life, and that's saying a lot, given everything that she went through during adolescence. But it's while she was in prison that she got clean off of drugs, and she made a decision that she wanted to rebuild her life again. 
And this time, she was going to attack the underlying causes, the underlying issues that had gotten her into this spiral in the first place. So she went to therapy. And the therapist started working with her to identify and disrupt the negative thoughts and the behaviors she had learned as a child. The therapist helped her to define her weaknesses so that she could control her behaviors. She tended to get that under control. She worked really, really hard. And it's not easy when you've grown up in a situation like that to start to get those things under control. And then, all of a sudden, she found out that she was going to be released before long. Her release date was approaching quicker than she had thought. And she thought, well, I need to rebuild my life on the outside. I need to be able to do something when I leave. And she couldn't be a nurse anymore. The state of Washington wasn't going to give her her nursing license back. So she started asking around, what do you think I should do? And that's when she first heard the name of Sean Hopwood. Now, Sean Hopwood, he's a lawyer who had written a book called Lawman. Now, what makes Sean unique is not the fact that he's a lawyer, but the fact that he spent 10 years in federal prison for robbing five banks before he became a lawyer. And so when he got out, he went to law school, and he became very, very successful as a lawyer. And so she read his book, and she was totally enthralled by this. She thought, this is absolutely amazing. And she figured, if he can do it, I can do it. She wasn't going to go out and rob banks, by the way, and then, you know, get back in jail. She was going to go to, she's going to try to become a lawyer, right? So she actually gets in contact with Sean and says, hey, would you mentor me? And he says, absolutely. First thing you need to do, take the LSAT, the LSAT, which is how you get admitted into law school. So she studies super hard. She takes a test. She scores well. She gets admitted into law school. And she is bound and determined to prove to everyone that she can overcome her past. So she works insanely hard at law school. She's working on her classes all the time. And even while she's in law school, she's doing all of these other things on top of just studying for her classes. She's presenting at judicial conferences. She starts her own nonprofit called Civil Survival which works with people like herself who have been in contact with the criminal justice system. The governor of Washington hears about her and ends up appointing her to two separate boards. She ends up co-chairing the statewide reentry council, which works with prisoners who are reintegrating into society. She graduates magna cum laude, and she's given the prestigious Skaden Fellowship, which is a fellowship that is designed for people who want to practice public interest law. And it's a two-year fellowship. It's very, very hard to get. Many people apply, few people get it. So all this to tell you that she was a rock star in law school. She did absolutely amazing while she was there. Her future had never been brighter. And she was getting ready for the last and final step, which was she was going to take the bar and begin practicing law. But before you can do that, you have to pass what's called a character fitness exam. So every state bar association around the country, before they will allow you to sit for the bar, they look at your personal history. And they want to determine, are you the type of person who should be practicing law? Even though you've been through law school, even though you've done all that, they have to move you forward. And so things like arrests and having time in prison can prevent you from being able to take the bar. So clearly this was the last big hurdle she had to get through in order to begin her legal career. Now, when you have convictions on your record, like she did, what that means is that 
the State Bar Association will hold a hearing to determine if they're going to move you forward. So the Washington State Bar Association, they decide, okay, it's time to have the hearing for Tara. And she brings in this whole cadre of witnesses who are going to testify on her behalf. She even has Sean Hopwood, the former bank robber turned lawyer, to uh, represent her at this hearing. And so they go in. It's five hours of testimony of people getting up on the stand talking about how hard she has worked to become the person who she is. She's done everything that she's supposed to do. She's just an incredible person. And we think that you should allow her to take the bar. So the committee adjourns. They go behind closed doors. They figure a few minutes, they'll be back out. But a few minutes turns into a half an hour, which turns into an hour. And she can hear them arguing very loudly behind closed doors. And here's what they were arguing about. Should you allow someone to take the bar and become a lawyer who has been in trouble with the law on and off since adolescence? Because here's the thing about being a lawyer. It can be very, very stressful. What happens if the stress becomes too much and she starts using drugs again? What if she's representing a vulnerable client in a high-stakes case and she cracks under the pressure? If that were to happen in either of those situations, the public would have a right to come back to that committee and say, how could you have allowed someone with such a spotty criminal history to become a member of the bar? And so this committee had to make a prediction. They had to figure out, is Tara truly a changed person? Or is this just another peak before she descends into the valley again? After a long period of deliberation, the chair of the committee came out and said, I'm sorry. We've decided not to move you forward. We feel that you are not fit to become a member of the Washington State Bar Association. Tara had just become the victim of the ripple effect. Not the ripple effect of her narrative, not the ripple effect of her upbringing, but the ripple effect of the prejudice that society had towards her as a person. So we talked about how she grew up in difficult circumstances. Is that true? It is true, right? And those difficult circumstances, they taught her a particular type of behavior. Is that true? Yes. True? Yes. And those behaviors, they caused her to make some really poor decisions later on in her life. Is that true? All right. Now, those poor decisions, the things that she decided to do, those cause us to look at Tara and we say, well, these are the decisions you made. And so we end up placing her in a box. And we end up judging her. We look at her and we say, well, you are a criminal. You are a drug addict. You are a drug dealer. You are a thief. This is the person who you will always be. And you will never be able to escape these mistakes. That's how we look at her in society. Is this not what we tend to do? Oh, it is very often. Now, what you may not realize is that the story I've just told you about Tara Simmons is the exact same story that I told you when it comes to the woman who is found guilty of adultery 
in the Gospel of John. So let me give you an understanding of the parallels that are going on here. So, in the Gospel of John, what happens? This woman is literally caught in the act of committing adultery, right? So she's dragged out by these men towards Jesus, and they ask Jesus, they say to him, what should we do with this woman? Should we stone her to death? Because according to the Scriptures, according to the Old Testament, when you are found guilty of committing adultery, the punishment is execution. Now they're looking at this woman, right? And they're saying to her, you have been changed by this act. This one thing that you've done has changed who you are. And this is what the Jews believe, that adultery changed the essence of who you are as a person. You can never be the same. Because essentially, adultery is something you can never recover from socially, and it becomes this box that you're stuck in forever. And so, this woman in the Gospels, she's facing the exact same forces that are working against Tara. They look at her and they say, you are an adulterer. You're an adulterer. This is the person who you will always be. You will never be able to escape this mistake, no matter what you do. So you might as well just end it all now. Now Jesus, he's very smart. He doesn't answer this question directly. He doesn't say yes or no. But what he does say to them is, he says, well, those of you who are without sin, please feel free to cast the first stone. And what happens? One by one, the men, they walk away. And then Jesus, he turns to the woman and he says, who is here to condemn you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go your way and do not sin again. Now, by making this decision, Jesus is making a statement, a really powerful statement. He's saying that this one act that you have been accused of, this one act does not have to define your life. Yes, you made a mistake, no doubt about it. But that mistake should not have to follow you forever. So you're forgiven. Go. And don't make the same mistake again. Be a different person be better. So Jesus, instead of closing the box, Jesus opens the box. And he says, you can be a different person. You can change. And my friends, that is the foundation. That is the core. That is what is at the heart of the Christian faith, that you can always change. You can always be different. And this is how Jesus disrupts the prejudices that we find in society. How does prejudice work? Prejudice works in the sense that I look at you and I say, I know who you are. I know where you came from. I know how you grew up. Based on your race, your religion, your ethnicity, I say, yeah, you're going to act this way. You're going to be this person. You're never going to change and be different. And what happens is when enough people do that, when enough people think this way, it ends up pinning people down. It ripples out, does it not? And it impacts people in society. These prejudices, they pin people down and they prevent people from being able to change and move forward. So let's take Tara Simmons, the example of what she went through. We look at her and we say, well, you grew up in a family of criminals and drug addicts, did you not? So you can never be a lawyer. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care 
if you get good grades. I don't care what kind of accolades you receive. I will never allow you to be anything more than your past. And Jesus, he looks at that and he gives us a teaching to disrupt that. He tells us, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For the judgment, with the judgment you make, you will be judged. The measure you give is the measure you get. So if Jesus were sitting on that committee, what would he say to everybody else? He would say, have you ever made a mistake? Yes, of course you have, right? You've made a mistake. The difference is, those mistakes don't define your life because you're seen as being greater than those mistakes. And so if you were trading places with Tara, you would sit there and you'd say, hey, yeah, I've made mistakes, but that doesn't define everything about who I am. I deserve a second chance. And that's the beauty of this, is that when you think about yourself in those circumstances, right, you would say, give me a second chance. And so therefore, looking at her, you would say, well, we need to give her a second chance as well. And this is the beauty of what Jesus does through God's kingdom. I love this so much because the kingdom is all about resetting our expectations of others. We come in and so often we look at somebody and we say, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. I know how you grew up and you can't be any different than that. And Jesus says, no, in the kingdom, you've got to set all that stuff aside and you have to look deep inside of somebody's heart. Because here's the thing, when somebody's working really hard to overcome their negative attributes, it is equally as important for us to set aside our negative prejudices. We do not realize how often our subtle judgments of other people who are trying to better themselves can prevent them from reaching their potential. If we are just willing, though, to look past those judgments, if we're willing to just set it aside and say, okay, I'm going to let you be who you are. And we're willing to follow what Jesus says. This is so critical for us to follow this. Because do you like to be judged harshly by people? Is that something you appreciate? No, you don't. And so if you are willing to enact this in your life as Christians, we can disrupt and break the prejudices that control our society and that prevent people from trying to reach their potential. So I want to end this morning by telling you the rest of Tara's story. Tara believed that she was a changed person. And so she asked Sean, what are we going to do? And Sean said, no, I think you're a changed person as well. We're going to appeal this. And they appealed it all the way up to the Washington State Supreme Court. Sean, he represented her there. And this is the actual hearing. And he gets up there and he says, look, if you choose to see a person only through their past actions, you condemn them to be defined by those actions. Tara is a fundamentally changed person. She's been clean off of drugs for more than six years. She has gone to therapy and dealt with a lot of the underlying causes of her behavior. She's dealt with this untreated trauma that she dealt with through most of her life. And more importantly than that, she's been on the right track. And she did extraordinarily well at law school. All the ways that you could expect her to rehabilitate. All the ways that you could expect her to do better. She has achieved those markers and then some. So Tara left that hearing and she felt cautiously optimistic. Because the fact is, she felt optimistic going into the first one. Didn't work out for her. Now rulings from the Supreme Court 
they take a while to come down because the justices, they have to go back, they have to confer with one another, and then eventually they will issue a ruling, usually many months later. And so she was prepared for a long waiting period. But later that day, she received a phone call. The Washington State Supreme Court had done something that they almost never do. They issued a ruling on the same day as the hearing. Every single one of the justices believed that Tara was a changed person and that she deserved a second chance. And I want you to listen to her reaction to that news. When I just like started crying and freaking out, <laughs> she probably um, thought I was a little <gasps> off my rocker or something, but I was like literally crying and I got on my knees and I was sobbing <sighs> and she said, you have a unanimous decision. You're, you're sitting for the bar exam. I can't believe it. And what were I you know. thinking when you, what were you thinking when you were crying? I was just like, I'm finally free. That's what I kept thinking. It's like, I'm finally free. It's like I finally made it out. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.